Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> My name's Joel, and uh, I'm the one who's responsible for how amazing Taylor Ford is, apparently. So <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. Um, now, hey, it is so good to be home to my home church. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was, like a, I was a college pastor here like back in the late 70s or I don't know, a long time ago. And uh, I lived down in uh, Carlsbad, California, North County, San Diego. And uh, I uh, work for a media company, Nations Media. We do uh, Christ-centered uh, film production and we have a magazine. Um, our, our focus is to become like the National Geographic of the faith-based world. Um, I always jokingly say, like, our mission is to tell the stories of Christianity that don't embarrass me. <laughs> so, um, so that's what we do. That's a lot of fun. Um, I also work for Latitude Recovery Center. Um, we just opened. Actually, it's a, uh, uh, a faith-based intensive outpatient partial hospitalization um, drug rehabilitation clinic, drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic. And uh, so I get to do that as well. So it is uh, a lot of fun, but Calvary is my home church, and um, man, <clears throat> it is so good to see so many of you. I actually got some, uh, some horrible news a week ago. Um, uh, my, my best friend um, was surfing down in um, Costa Rica. He was on a surf trip, and we were texting last Friday, and, and right after we were texting, uh, he drowned in... Uh, in a pool of all things. Uh, he was obviously one of the best, he was one of the best surfers from our area. And um, anyways, so I've had, I've had a week. Um, I've had a week. And, you know, I was gonna call Daniel. I was like, dude, I, I, there's no way. I, I can't make it, you know. Um, and I thought, you know, there's no place I'd rather be than uh, at, at this church because, um, so many of you helped me through a season of my spiritual journey where I was so exhausted, so worn out, so tired, uh, partially because of the environment I was working in, partially because of what was my stupid youthful decisions, whatever. Um, but this place became a hospital for me. And uh, Ray, in his horrible judgment, hired me. <laughs> he shouldn't have. And... Uh, and Mary, and um, gosh, I just think back of the history of, you know, just so many friends and family. I think of uh, Rob Mayer, I think of uh, Adam Berenger, and I think of uh, just all of the people who have, at one time or another in their faith journey, has found Calvary Community Church to just be uh, a place for healing. And um, anyways, so I just wanted to thank you. And uh, um, yeah, so somehow I, uh, what do we, what's our story? Uh, storyteller, a summer in the parables is where we are this morning, in case you didn't know. It's clearly I did. Um, and apparently I chose, I don't remember doing this, but Daniel says I did. Uh, I chose Luke 18. It's a horrible passage of scripture to have to preach on. Um, yeah, so don't shoot the messenger. Um, it starts off and, and Jesus says this. He says, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times that they ought to pray and not to lose heart. At all times, all times, continue to pray and don't lose heart. Two very simple things for the church. And as I began to meditate on this, I was thinking to myself, um, 
You know, do you know any Christians who have recently lost heart? Yeah, I tell you, man, this has been a week. There have been moments where I've lost heart. I've been really angry at God. I've been really angry at myself. You know the grieving process. Like, oh, I should have, uh, I should have called Russell last week. I shouldn't have texted him. I'd do anything to hear his voice one more time. You know, and, and in those moments and whatever life is good. Is that a Dodger hat? Yeah, brother. <laughs> yes, dude. Yeah. I told you Ray had bad judgment. How did I ever end up in the pulpit? I don't know. What was I talking about? Oh, my friend who passed away last week. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's this idea, or it's just this reality that, that us human beings living out as spiritual beings, as physical beings, and trying to understand this whole connection to God and the reality of our flesh and, and who we are, it's, it's easy to get distracted and to lose heart. Secondly, it says, um, don't forget to pray at all times. Do you know any Christians who have ceased praying and placed their trust in politics and whatever Christian fad is going around? It's a dangerous place to be. It's a tough place to be. Let's start with this. What about those who have lost heart? I wanna address this for just a moment because I think we're all guilty of that in one way or another. And I wanna talk about a couple different scenarios. One, have you heard of the deconstruction movement? It's very popular amongst the youth. And you know, it's like, it's, just like, it's this thought of going, you know, there, there's so much messed up about Christianity. I just need to unlearn a bunch of stuff. You know, the church and the patriarchy and the, you know, I've got this liberal arts degree and I'm gonna use it. And, and uh, it's just this, this deconstruction of their faith. A lot of, a lot of today's youth are going through this and that's what they're calling and they're identifying with one another. If you have lost heart and find yourself deconstructing your faith, my challenge to you this morning is to find something to construct. It's too easy to be a wrecking ball and just tear everything down, but what are you building? What are you pouring your life into? What are you trying to establish? If you find yourself in that moment today, I wanna challenge you. Find something to build and build into it. Number two, maybe, maybe you're the type that's, I've been praying all the time. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and I just have lost heart. I don't know where I am. I just, is God even there? I spent all this time praying, and I don't know if he's answering my prayers. Any of you have been in that state of mind before? A couple days ago, I, was, I do these things called extended personal communion days, and I go to this, uh, this mission. I get it, I'm, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? No, it's okay. Bottle's coming. So, oh, so sweet. <laughs> Feed him some of that latte and see what happens. <laughs> My kids are in high school now, so I, I'm in a whole other stage of nursing. It's okay, it's okay. Jeez. Um... But as I was walking around this mission that was built in the late 1700s and it's this beautiful grounds and you can walk the stations of the cross and it's just an incredible place to spend a day with God. There are all these, uh, there's all these Franciscan monks and they walk around in their, 
their brown robes. They, you know the San Diego Padres, the, like the little baseball guy? They actually look like that. Like the Padres came from something and that's them. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're real. You're not a cartoon. And, uh, and they walk around and they pray and they're amazing, amazing followers of God. And they pray in their, in their spaces. And I just want to grab them because none of them are smiling <laughs> and just go, Go engage in the world. Go do something. Go participate in mission. Go volunteer in the high school group and like go to camp and drive 17 hours on a bus and, and like get COVID and, and like <laughs> hang out with smelly high school kids and pour into their lives and change their lives forever. Like do something. And maybe you're of, maybe you've lost heart because you've been giving and giving and giving and giving and you're like, God, I'm doing all of this for you and I'm tired. I think the invitation this morning is for you to find rest, to have permission to take a nap. When I checked into the mission, because um, they, they've got this little retreat center and you can uh, actually rent like this little, it's like a really dingy motel room from the 1700s. And, uh, but um, when I got there, my buddy just comes up to me and he goes, dude, you have complete permission to just go take a nap. And I closed my eyes for like 30 minutes and it was the most spiritual thing that happened that day. <laughs> have, you ever had like a, have you ever had holy rest? You see, Jesus models this. It's always like the preacher gets up here, he's like, look what the Lord does. He meets with the woman at the well, therefore go find a well and a woman. And we're like, okay, and we go do it, right? But here's what we do. We have to look at the holistic spirituality of Jesus that he models for us to pay attention to. And he's slippery, Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's got the problem of solving sin and death. And where is he? I don't know, he's late to work, 30 years late. And he finally shows up and he's like, I think I'm gonna go climb this mountain, spend time with my heavenly father. I think I'm gonna take a nap under this tree. I think I'm gonna wake up in the early hours and his spirituality is something that's inviting us tired, weary souls who have lost heart because you're exhausted saying, model the spirituality of Jesus who would retreat to have intimacy with his father, to understand the heart and the will of God so that he might engage into ministry refreshed. Have you ever done ministry from a place of refreshment? It's a, it's a healthy place to be. And don't look at us pastors for, we're the worst at modeling this, amen? We're the worst. We're all exhausted and cranky, overworked because we've been nursing all these, <laughs> these, these spiritual infants all the time. Oh, it's okay, keep praying. You guys get what I'm saying. We look to Jesus for this, rest and retreat, so important. What about you this morning who have been burned by the church? I get it. I think there's two people in this camp, some who just want an excuse to go sin. Okay, well, go live your life. You don't need to like throw the church under the bus. And then there are those who actually have been really hurt by the church. And I get it. I've been hurt by the church. And in those seasons, two things need to happen. One, if you're in this camp, you need to be honest with yourself, okay? And just declare, no, listen, I wanna go live my life this way and that's just a decision I'm making. Fine, We're, that's, that's between you and God. We don't care. I mean, we care, but go do you. But if you're over here and you're saying, no, I've really been hurt. Number one, you need to find someone to talk to. Someone's safe. You need to find a therapist. You need to find a counselor. 
You need to go through this healing process because you need to re-engage the church because the church needs you. We need you. The thing that's frustrating you about the church, be the solution for it. When I was a kid, I wasn't a Christian yet and I was hanging out with some Christian dudes and they had a, they had a, a accountability group, a Bible study, I don't know, but I wasn't accepted into it because I was the bad kid. I was the kid who was kicked out of school, Tacoma Baptist. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And I'm like, man, I want, I, what I saw they had was, looked really cool. Sorry, it's not for you. And I was pissed. I was angry at God. I was angry at them. And I could have gone one of two ways. So when I, when I became a Christian just two years after that moment, I decided, and God opened the door for me to step into youth ministry. I just made a decision before God. I was like, listen, every kid who you entrust into my youth group or into our youth ministry who would walk through these very doors, those right there, any kid who would end up in the sanctuary, I was gonna tell them I love them and I was gonna give them a hug and they were gonna be accepted. That was my mission. And I told God, I said, the minute I don't love these kids, yank me out of here. I have no business being here because I know what it feels like to be rejected by the church. So that's the invitation. If you've lost heart, re-engage. Make sense? Number two, it talks about Christians who have ceased praying. And I think there's a, there's a warning here. God's saying, it's like, listen, don't lose heart. Don't cease to pray. I know in my life, when I cease to pray, it's the first sign of self-righteousness. I call it onset self-righteousness. It's not thy will be done, but it's my will be done. I've got it. I don't want your help. I don't need your help. I'm okay. Have you ever uttered those words, I'm okay? Anybody? Literally every one of you as you walked in, how you doing? I'm okay. I'm doing good. Doing good. I'm okay. You see, I've, um, in my new job at the, at the rehab, I, I'm learning about uh, recovery, <laughs> mainly that I am in recovery. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me. Holy cow, how'd they know? And I've learned in group, group therapy is amazing. You're sitting there with people who, I mean, who have like had horrendous trauma, who have made horrible decisions because of that trauma, who have engaged in trying to flee the pain into substances that seemed to help for a while, but only made a total disaster out of their lives. And they sit there in this group and they talk and they open up like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I used heroin last Friday. It was really bad. And then I, you know, I did this and you're, I'm just going, what? Holy cow. Like this transparency, the honesty is just absolutely incredible and the support for one another. But one thing they do not tolerate in recovery and those really honest, transparent sessions is when someone says, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. As, as I'm saying this, some of you who have uh, maybe you've come out of substance abuse or you've, you've been uh, associated with someone who has, you're all smiling at me really big because you know if you say, yeah, in a group setting, in group therapy, you say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. Everyone goes, ooh. <laughs> Wait till they get into with the therapist because they are in big trouble. It's actually the worst place you can be by saying, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. It's a cry for help in that world. 
And I think it's a cry for help in our world as well. So, what do you do with that? Well, in scripture, you gotta keep reading. So here's our passage that I apparently chose, uh, starting in verse nine. And it's a doozy. It says, and he, Jesus, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I just wanna thank you that I'm not like the other people, the swindlers. What's a swindler? Anyone know? I keep saying this word, I don't know what it means. Um, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Me, God, will I fast twice a week? I pay tithes after Taylor Ford gets up here and twists my arm with that motivational prayer before Sunday service. I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, we're reading about a bad guy here, right? And the bad guy isn't the bad guy. The bad guy in this passage is actually the religious. The bad guy is the self-righteous. He views others with contempt, meaning that he's, he's, others are beneath him. Others are less than, others are stupid. Others are foolish, but me, God, I've got it figured out. And secondly, this bad guy is all wrapped up in how amazing he thinks he is. Do you want the bad news first or do you want the bad news second? Well, the bad news first is that we are the religious in this story. Jesus is warning us about ourselves. And he says, and without unrepentance, we will die secondly in our religiosity, if not for justification. Glad you came to church this morning. <laughs> wait, I thought this was good news. Just wait. The good news is this word justification is such a dense, thick, deep well of a word to unpack it, many people and seminarians take hundreds and thousands of hours diving into it. But for us, as we look at this concept of the righteous man being not right with God and the unrighteous man being right with God, what do we need to know? Well, this word justification merely means the action of God declaring us righteous. Let me say that again. The action of who? God causing us to be righteous and in good standing with him. It's a powerful, powerful theological concept. You see, we know this is the church, right? That God is holy. What does that mean? It means he's separate. Separate from what? Us. 
sin, death. And so it's like if I had this beautiful vase or vat of water, right? You ever go to like the supermarket, you see those, those Fiji waters? They just look better. I don't know, how is that? They just look, they, like that looks like pure water. Like it's been, you know, gone through all the, the filtration. It just looks perfect, okay? Think of that. And then over here, you've got like this bottle of water and it's, it's like from the Tijuana Slough or, or the Puyallup River, right? There's one. The Puyallup River and all its brown glory. And, and the sin of it is to think, you know what? Like God, it's, it's me, it's, it's uh, Pastor Joel. Yeah, yeah, the one who's responsible for Taylor Ford. You're welcome. Um, I, it's... You remember, it's me, I, I ran a nonprofit organization. That's really holy. <laughs> and I went to Bible college and I did all the things. So I just wanna say I'm a really good guy and I just wanna thank you for being um, my friend. Jesus is my homeboy. I deserve to be, I, I came to church. I even went when some guy from San Diego was just blabbing on. And so I'm just, I'm just a good, good person, right? What you're saying is that you deserve to scoop some of this water up and put it in this purified water to be in relationship with. And we know that we can't do that because the minute we have that mindset, we're taking God from his goodness, from his righteousness, from his holiness, and we're diluting him to become just like us. It doesn't work that way. That's how the rest of the world thinks. And they're trying to make God like us and you just can't do that. You're taking God off the throne off of his kingship position, you can't do that. So instead, something has to happen. He has to purify us for there to be harmony because the minute unpurified water touches purified water, the purified water now is gross and disgusting and no one wants it. So God, through this act of justification, runs us through filters. Are you leaving? It gets better, I'm just getting started. Okay. <laughs> so this act of God causing us to be righteous, what does that look like? Well, it looks like sanctification. He takes a scoop and he starts purifying us and purifying us and purifying us. And he takes this idiot surfer who back in 1996, August of 1996, made a decision to receive Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of life, has more salt water in his skull than brain matter he takes that decision mixed with the actions of God, Jesus coming, living a perfect sinless life, going to the cross for the joy set before him because of his love, which he loved this idiot surfer. He dies for him. He dies for for him, this kid who is going to hell is happy going to hell, whose theology consists of God hates me, therefore I hate God. And that's how, that's how I live, that's, that was it. Why would he intervene in my life? Why would he just like go, no, 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 no. Stop right there, stop that kid in his tracks. I wanna demonstrate my kindness and my love towards him. He rescues me from the bowels of hell, according to Ephesians 2, and places me in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, that, that is justification. 
And if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans chapter five and we get a bigger, uh, better picture of what this, this looks like. Romans, Romans, there it is. And Paul articulates it this way. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, that's the first thing we need to look at, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reconciliation. Peace with God, a sinner matched with a holy good God and peace between the two. It's amazing. Verse six, for why, for why, uh, for why, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Hi, that's me. That's the man in the story who's beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it continues, for we hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified, there's that word, by his blood. How are we purified? Because of Christ's sacrifice. That's it, that's the only way. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, not by my life. The sin happens when I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Salvation is because of my life. No, God's not impressed. (laughs) He doesn't care. He's like, boring. Wow, you gave a sermon. It's a glorified book report. Like, you think you did anything for the kingdom? (laughs) But he's going, come on, Joel. Get the understanding. It's because of Christ's life. Not only this, but we also exult in God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received this reconciliation. God has done it. He's done the work. Incredible. So verse one, we see it's by faith. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's Joel the surfer who knows nothing about God saying, yes to God, I trust everything that you have done. Justification, God's actions in making us righteous. Just looking at that and going, I trust that. I believe in that. Whatever that is, sign me up. That's the team I'm on. I'm on that team. And that's what justification looks like. That's your role, having faith, being assured, trusting Jesus, trusting the work that God has done, not trusting your work. Jesus is saying, stop with the stinking thinking that you are amazing and you've done all this great stuff for the world and stop looking at others with contempt going, those foolish sinners out there, you're missing the point, you're blowing it, you idiots. He's calling us, the church, to come back to a posture of this. God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? And we think in our Christianity, in our spiritual lives, that we somehow elevate from that posture to go somewhere else and God's going, no, you don't. Because God's the one who's done the work, not Joel Parker. That's the picture here that we get. So, what does a justified life look like? Exactly that posture and we don't leave it. And we flip the script, our prayers become, God, don't let me become like those who are righteous, 
who judge others without love, who use religion for power, who lack compassion for the poor, who lack understanding of what repentance actually looks like. You see, we never leave this position. If you have lost heart, I dare to say it's because you got up from this position of needing a savior, beating your chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and you've tried to do it yourself. How do I know this? Because I'm a pastor and I'm super smart. Just kidding, I'm an idiot and I'm always doing this. And when God wants to teach me a lesson, he has me preach and it's so frustrating. It's been 20 years of this and I'm tired of it. I always say I'm not a preacher, I'm a regurgitator. (laughs) I was like, this is what I'm learning. Dear diary, sharing it with thousands of your closest friends. So where is this modeled well? Because we don't model it for you well, as pastors. We don't don't necessarily model it. We want to, it's our heart's desire, but here's the problem. Um, We're all broken sinners just like everybody else in the world. And we're learning. And this is why we actually have church. It's not to to come together and have the the cool screens and the fog machines and the great songs and all this stuff. It's it's to to have fellowship with one another. It's to see like, oh yeah, Daniel, dude, you're not alone. Love you, bro. Care for you. Man, it's so good to see. It's yes. Oh yeah, we're we're encouraging one another in the faith. We're, We're coming together to worship and remind ourselves that we as believers do not leave this posture. Jesus have mercy on me, a sinner. That's why we come together. That's what church is. So who models it well? Well, David in the Old Testament. Remember David, the man after God's own heart? No, do you guys go, are you guys, hello? (laughs) David? Yeah, Veggie Tales, I'm sure they have one about him. (laughs) But for a minute, let's paint David in a more realistic light for just a minute. Remember when he went out to his balcony as um, in scripture it says that it was a time of season when he should have been with his troops and he wasn't where he was supposed to be. That always gets you in trouble, first and foremost. Uh, I remember when I was in uh, Iraq um, and working during the whole ISIS genocide and I was with General Adnan um, of the Peshmerga. The Peshmerga are the, the Kurdish fighters they wear like the MC Hammer, like big baggy pants. You know what I'm talking about? And they all have the huge mustaches and they're just awesome warriors. And General Adnan, we would go to the front lines where ISIS was just, they were so lame. They were just like, just brutal. And these soldiers would, would go and they would fight with, with honor and they would fight bravely. But after a while, it just wears on you. The fight day in and day out. And you're like, why are we doing this? And the minute General Adnan showed up, everyone was like, attention. And they would be reminded of why they were in the fight. That's what good leadership looks like. And David was lacking that leadership in this moment. He goes out to his balcony, he looks over his little kingdom there. And he sees a woman bathing on the roof. Why was she bathing on the roof? I don't know. That's one of the great theological questions. But nonetheless, she was. And he goes, yo, 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 go find out who that chick is over there. She's really attractive. Okay. A man after God's own heart. Yo, that's Uriah's wife. Uriah who, you know, 
accounted for, I think, 36 or 37 times in his fighting has, has saved David's life. A dear friend. And he goes, yeah, go fetch her for me. And he has an affair. And sin begets sin, begets sin, and it just keeps going, right? Have you ever been stuck in the cycle of sin? It's just like one bad decision leads to another. Not being where he should have been led to looking out over the balcony and looking at some woman and just going, yeah, I think I deserve that. Sounds like the righteous man in, back in Luke 18. Has an affair. Gets her pregnant. Ends up killing or having Uriah killed. Bad, bad place to be. His friend Nathan comes up to him and is like, David, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten the God you're serving. It's time to find yourself in the position and the posture of have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is the beautiful thing about David, is that this is his response in Psalm chapter 51. He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know all of my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever had, like, fallen into sin and you, you just can't escape it? It just keeps chasing you? And you try to hide it, you try to bury it, it just finds its way back right in the forefront of your mind. I remember when I was a brand new Christian down in Cannon Beach, Oregon. I didn't know how to be a Christian, so I, I signed up to go to Bible college <laughs> to try to figure this out. And in Bible college... Um, I remember I uh, made a really bad decision, me and a few friends, and we went out and uh, got some beer underage, and we found ourselves in jail that night. Yeah. So uh, I remember the first time in my life that instance being like, oh my gosh, my bad decisions have never had consequence before. They've never had consequence. I, if I could get away with it, there was no consequence for my sin. But this first time in my life, I made a horrible decision. I knew it. And now I had to live in transparency. I had to own up to my future wife and saying, I know I really want to date you. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure your parents will be thrilled to know and meet me. Um, but this is what happened last Friday night. And I came clean. And it was like the first time in my life, just that act of repentance, of confession, I saw a God who I'd put my trust in actually meet me in that and say, Joel, you're gonna be okay through this. This is, this is the part, we're talking about justification. This is the part of sanctification and it's gonna be a long, bumpy road of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. This was like stage one. <laughs> I, was, I was preaching a couple of weeks ago and for some reason I shared that story and, and so it's fresh on my mind. And, at, and I'm preaching down in San Diego and I look at the camera and, I'm, and I immediately, like my train of thought is going, camera, YouTube, my mom, who has no idea this ever happened. <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't say anything. My mom's always like, oh, so, you know, when are you speaking next and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm, uh, I don't know, you know. And uh, she found it, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I got a really crazy text uh, last Wednesday. I had no idea. 
So David's saying, my sin is before me. I understand that. I've done evil in your sight. It's verse seven. Purify me with hyssop and I will be made clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Have you ever lost the joy of your salvation? Have you ever just become a bitter Christian? This sucks. Hate this song. Stupid screens. That's where our tithe money goes. Look at Taylor's cool boots. You ever find yourself there? See, I'm a huge Dodger fan, right? I always, I always wear my Dodger hat when I preach. And I, and I live in San Diego, so there's a problem. In fact, the CEO of the Padres goes for a church. He's like, I can't even listen to you, bro. Like, it's ridiculous. I'm like, just sad Padres fan, just boo-hoo, and they've lost heart. And then to come to a place where you return to the joy of your salvation, whether it's a camp or a moment in church or just whatever, it just feels so good to find that. I was driving into church a couple weeks ago and I drove along the coast and it was kind of a gloomy morning in San Diego and all the Arizona tourists weren't out yet and it was just, <laughs> just awesome. Like the Lord just met me. And you remember that song, uh, we used to sing it here for college group, uh, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can, I'm singing in front of people. You can have all this world, give me Jesus. And I just had this moment where I'm just like, dude, let the world burn. It's just me and the Lord right now. Like, doesn't matter. I put so much hope and faith in all these stupid things. I put so much hope and faith in like, who the next political leader is going to be. And I'm just like, I just end up bitter and angry and stupid. It's like we have a president now who can't even ride a bicycle. We're like, yeah, but he's the hope of our world. We're voting for him. He's, he's the change that we need. And then the one, the president before that, God help us all from that guy. But we as Christians, we get so caught up in that being the solution. And granted, I love our country. I would die for our country. I truly would. But dude, this country's gonna burn. It's gonna go away. If you're putting all this energy and stress into the political system for a solution, you're in a losing fight. You're just gonna be angry and bitter and on your social media <laughs> that no one listens to except your echo chamber of, of your community. They're like, yeah, I believe you, brother. Whether you're on this side or that side, it's a sinking side. It's a losing team. And I love our nation. It's the best. It really is. But Jesus is inviting us to a kingdom where he's the king and it lives on forever. And he's going, listen, you're over here and you're pissed because it doesn't work. It's like, I voted the guy in and nothing has changed. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And Jesus is over here going, you bitter little idiot, come over here. We're building something so much better. 
that will live on forever and you get to be a part of it. And the minute you taste that and you experience that, and you're not worried about all the sin that everybody else is doing, and you get off your self-righteous horse, and you just get down into this meadow where you just can sit with Jesus? Dude, that's the spirituality that the Bible is speaking of. That's the invitation this morning for you and for I to just be okay. And David was returned to the joy of his salvation. Is that a beautiful invitation to you this morning? It is for me. We're gonna do something really weird right now. And I can do this, because I'm from California. We do weird things. We're gonna do a version of biblical meditation. And it looks like this. I'm gonna read through a few sections of Psalm 51. And I'm gonna give a really long, awkward moment of silence in between that. And you can do one of two things. One, you can just stare at me and just go, dude, what is for lunch? This is ridiculous. <laughs> you can do that. I've done that plenty of times. <laughs> Land the plane, Ray. Land the plane. I'm hungry. <laughs> or you can join David in this time of prayer. Let it become your own prayer. Meditation, let these words sink in deep into our soul, to our mind, and let it become our manifesto, all right? So let's close our eyes, all of us as a church. Let's take a deep breath. Just focus on being present and in the presence of God. God, be gracious to me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me.
God, minister to me this morning with your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain a right spirit, a willing spirit within me. Congratulations. You guys just did a meditation. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, all right. Well, hey, a couple things to take away. And again, this is for me, and you're welcome to join. Number one, pray like a sinner. Pray like a sinner. Stop praying like a righteous idiot. Pray like a sinner. That's where the Lord is inviting us to be. That's where the healing comes from. That's the honest posture before God. Pray like a sinner. Number two, stop worrying about the world's problems, the world's sin. If you aren't willing to participate and be a missionary to the people who are so offensive to you, you have no business talking about them. You have no business judging them. You're not the judge. We're not the judge. We're just a room full of Broken people are coming together to say we desperately need Jesus. We have no authority to be the ethics and moral police for the rest of the world. It's between God and them. So unless you're willing to join him on his mission to seek and to save that which is lost, just chill out. Calm down. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Number three, you got homework. Read through Psalm 51 this week. Read it, meditate on it, pray through it, spend time in it. I'm not just saying like read it like our Western Germanic like way of like reading with like as fast as you can and comprehend as much as you can. I'm talking about slowing down and let the word of God become living and active so that it might start doing some surgery in our hearts. Give it space, give it time sit with it. Learn from those monastic practices. Learn from those padres who, who sit and really enjoy the presence of God in such a deep way. Take an hour and spend time learning from David's posture before God. And then fourth, you can read the rest of Luke 18 if you want, but it's, it's gonna invite you to a crazy spirituality, one that's saying, sell all that you own and give it to the poor. Glad I'm not preaching on that one. <laughs> the rest of the chapter that says that the kingdom of God belongs to the kids. Yeah, the kids, that's who it says. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of, of God like a child will not enter at all. The invitation is to stop being old and lame and bitter. 
come alive. Jesus is going, come on. The enemy has stolen from you. He's robbed you. He's deceived you into thinking that the White House is just gonna pump out some savior and it just continues to not do so. He's saying, come away with me. Find rest, find life, find mission, find purpose. This is a great place at this church to find that, to just to get to come in and be a kid again. Does that sound good? Sound good? That's what Jesus wants. It's the children. He's like, shut up, religious people. Let the kids come to me. Let's be a kid. Let's be a kid. Come on, get your skateboards out. Well, let's go be a kid. If you don't want to skateboard, I don't care. Do, some, do something youthful. Just get back to that freedom that you had when you were a little kid and you could just run through the meadow knowing that your parents had you. They were going to keep you safe. God's name is Jehovah Jireh, meaning this. He is our provider. He's our safekeeping. He is our heavenly father. And if you've got broken parents, listen, he is the perfect father for each and every one of us. He won't fail you. Get back to that place where you can be free. I don't care what age you are, man. There's nothing better. Like I work with a a 70 year old one dude, a 71 year old dude who's like has the youthful energy of a 20 year old. Refresh your outlook on this beautiful world. It's gorgeous. Look around. You guys live in the Pacific Northwest. You should not be bitter about anything (laughs) except the rain, but that's not for another month or two. And then you can come down to San Diego, say hi. (laughs) I can get you a therapist if you need. (laughs) I think this, I think our definition of godly living is a little messed up and it needs just a little recalibration. That's it. In fact, Taylor and Daniel and I, we were, we were having breakfast this morning and we were talking about, it's just, it's just recalibration constantly. Jesus, where's our true north? There it is. We get off, we just do. There's, we need the scripture. We need each other to say, this is what life is about. Amen? Amen. And, and we can repent when we've believed and we put, We've just gone down stupid rabbit trails of trying to solve, out, solve life's problems. So I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful that I get to be a part of this church and have a place where I can come be recalibrated. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we pray that you would be glorified by all that's gone on here this morning. God, I thank you for, for Russell's life Thank you for the friend he was and the invitation that he constantly gave me every day to come alive. The most youthful guy I knew. That's the invitation that I'll carry on, Lord, to be more childlike in my faith. God, please be with Brianna this morning. Please be with the kiddos. Be with Magnolia and Rue. God, heal the brokenness that's there, the hurt, the longing for their dad, Lord. Would you minister to them this morning? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.